Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. In the spotlight, Christine McSherry. She's a wife, she's a mother of five, she's a registered nurse and founder of the Jet Foundation, a charity named after her son, who was diagnosed with a rare and fatal disease called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Now, this is a disease that strikes only boys, usually around their fifth birthday, and then it kills them slowly. For this mom, that was not an option. So she put on her nurse's hat and she went to work. This is her story. Christine, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. So happy to be here. We've known each other for a long time, and I've followed you and been your friend for a while, and I thought, you know what? It's time to catch up with you and let people know what you're doing. So take us back to the day that Jet was diagnosed with Duchenne muscular dystrophy. Were there any warning signs for you? There probably were. I had four other little kids, so I wasn't paying very close attention. It was actually my husband. Much to his credit, I kind of joked I was the nurse and supposedly the medical expert in the family. And it was really under his insistence that I took Jet back to the doctors and had him reevaluated. The physician had said that he needed to stretch more at an annual physical, and I kind of took that with a grain of salt. And my husband actually took me to task on that. What was your reaction? As a mom, as a nurse, you're sitting there and the doctor says, listen, I, I, I got to talk to you about something. I mean, what was that like? It was horrible. In that moment, you could think of nothing else but just wanting to die. Pain was so severe. As a nurse, I remember thinking to myself, how did people feel so badly that they wanted the pain had to be so bad that they wanted to commit suicide? I had trouble connecting to my patients. And in that moment, it all made sense to me. Whew. So what does this disease do to a boy? Let's explain the whole thing to our listeners. Sure. So Duchenne muscular dystrophy prevents these boys, and it's, it's mostly only boys who have the disease, about 1 in 3,500 male births. It prevents them from making a protein called dystrophin. And dystrophin is that protein that holds our muscles together. And without it, our muscles will tear as we grow, but then they can't repair themselves. So instead, they get filled with fluid and they atrophy, making them useless. They become fatty tissue instead of muscle. And how long does that take? It starts at about five, which is when Jet was diagnosed. I'm, I'm guessing he, you were probably getting ready to send him to kindergarten. Sure, I was. Actually, he was in preschool, but it actually starts when they're born because this is a genetic disease. It's passed on by mom, so the muscles, as they start to grow they are also dying at the same time. And as that boy develops and becomes five, six, seven, eight years old, and they're growing more rapidly and they're doing more things with their legs, it's their legs that start to give out. And those young boys start to just spontaneously collapse on the playground. They're more fatigued. They sometimes break a leg when they fall. It's just devastating. And eventually, it robs them of their life because your heart and your lungs and your diaphragm are muscles too. You know, it's exhausting enough to hear these words from a doctor, to absorb them, to go home, to take care of this child, to take care of four other children, to try to provide some sort of normalcy in your house when this was all happening. So it's another thing, though, to take it upon yourself to create a foundation and to find a way to save his life. And that's exactly what you've done. Take me back to the moment when you decided, I'm going to do this. 
Jet was diagnosed in February of 2001, and uh, we had just bought a ski house at Bretton Woods. And every weekend, we would pack all the kids in the car on Friday and fight that wonderful Boston traffic to get up north and ski for two days. It's something that we always dreamed about for our children. And that weekend was the typical weekend, only we got Jet's diagnosis. So we put the cars in the garage, and we pulled all the shades in the house, and we took the five kids and locked them in this master bedroom with us. We watched cartoons and old movies, and the children ate cereal for breakfast, lunch, and dinner for two days. We came out Monday morning and looked at each other and decided we had to go back out and face the world, but we needed to face the world and tell them something. Number one, we needed to let them know that Jet had this horrible disease, and number two, we had to do everything we could to try to save him. And in my heart of hearts, I had been through AIDS and HIV and watched my patients recover when they were supposed to die. And so I always had that little glimmer of hope that maybe, just maybe, there's something I could do. And I think that every parent who has a child with a deadly disease, they really do think they can conquer the world. And when Jet was about 15 years old and he had lost the ability to walk and he was asking me about college, and I didn't know how we could ever do that because I didn't even know if he was going to survive to 19, I had just about given up. I was facing what was going to be the last couple of years in his life. I just wanted to make them as blessful as possible. And I never expected the miracle that occurred over the next five years. Well, I wish we had a webcam in the studio because your story about locking yourselves in your bedroom for two days and turning down the blinds has has taken me to tears, I'll tell you that. And I'm sure people who are listening to this uh, story are feeling the same way. You have been a nurse your entire life. Tell me what drew you to this profession. I had a small family and grew up in Quincy, Massachusetts. My mom had me young. Four years later, she had my brother. And at the age of three, my brother was diagnosed with another genetic disease called neurofibromatosis. Neurofibromatosis can be very symptomatic or asymptomatic for people. And for my brother at three, it was very symptomatic. He had a very large tumor over one of his eyes. And he, since then, had undergone at least 25 surgeries to have his face corrected. My brother still is without a lot of the bony features of his face. I watched my brother as a child. I was probably 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. I watched him go in for all of these surgeries and try to recover. I watched my brother actually when he coded. You know, he, he went into cardiac arrest after one of the surgeries at Children's Hospital in Boston, and I watched the nurses and the doctors revive my brother. There was, there was no other choice for me in life. I knew that my life was going to be dedicated to service, whether it be through nursing or something else. But nursing is really all I knew. It's all I was exposed to. You also mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we'll talk about it now again. You worked with HIV, AIDS patients early in your career. Christine, tell me, what, what did you learn from that work? I learned a lot. My HIV, AIDS patients taught me so much about life. They opened my eyes. They taught me about different cultures and nationalities. And I took care of of patients from all over the world because they flew to Boston to try to get the best treatments. I also learned that there's always another way to get things done from them. There's always another way. It doesn't have to be the traditional route. They taught me that collaboration and working together and always putting the intent of whatever it is that you want to get done, as long as it's pure, genuine, it's sincere, then everything else will fall into place. And I thought about that mission when I started the organization. I didn't always worry so much about bringing funding into our organization because I knew if I was doing the work in the right way that everything would just fall into place. 
And I reflect back on those days when I worked with those AIDS patients on that floor. They gave me such a gift, and that gift helped me save my son. You know, that was going to be exactly where I was going in this conversation. You know, you shaped and you formed this charity around finding a drug that would extend his life, building a dashboard, learning about research, all that stuff. You ended up lobbying Washington and the FDA for drug approval, and you got it. September 19th, 2016, after fighting and working with the agency for four to five years, the hardest four to five years of my entire life. And ironically, those years could have been the last years of my son's life. And I would tell the agency that this is ridiculous and I am spending so much time educating you on a disease that my son could very well die from today, and I'm not there. But it was one person at the agency who really understood the science. Her name was Janet Woodcock, and she's in charge of CEDAR. She understood the science, and she watched through videos and pictures the transformation of some of these kids. Ironically, I lost time with my children. I didn't go to a lot of basketball games, football games. I didn't go to birthday parties. My friends turned 50. They didn't see me, hear from me. It was an enormous sacrifice, but one I would do over again. Thank you so much for joining us for the story behind her success. I'm your host. This is Candy O'Terry. And in the spotlight, Christine McSherry. I'm proud to call her my friend. She is a wife, a mother of five, a registered nurse, founder of the Jet Foundation, a charity she named after her son with one goal in mind, to save his life. Along the way, I have to believe that there have been some pretty intense conversations between you and Jet. I'll tell you the only intense conversation that I've actually really had with him, and, and this goes to the, the love that he has for me and the love that I have for him, he never really asked where I was going or what I was doing. He always trusted that what I was doing was in his best interest. One of my daughters on Mother's Day made a comment to me that he overheard, and she's angry, and it's okay for her to be angry. I was gone for four years. I did not visit her in college. I couldn't be there. I was trying to save her brother's life, and I thought that was more important. It was, but it's hard to tell a 18, 19, 20-year-old that sometimes. And Jet looked up at me on Mother's Day morning, and he said to me, he goes, Mom, I don't know why she's so angry. Doesn't she know that you just were trying to save my life? And in that moment, I knew that he forgave me for being gone, and that he truly got it. Jet Foundation provides so much to the boys. Beyond your own son, you have changed the lives of so many boys and brought forward this drug that previously was not used and was unknown to so many. Tell us about the services of Jet Foundation and where the money goes when people donate. Jet has taught me so many things about the needs of those who have Duchenne muscular dystrophy and the unmet needs that these patients and families have. And he has inspired so many programs. He inspired camp because I realized as he became an adolescent that he was becoming lonely, that he was secluded, that he wasn't gaining the independence that all other kids gained. And so we started Camp Promise. We have three camps now in the country, Seattle, Colorado, and Connecticut, where we take boys with Duchenne and other neuromuscular diseases and girls 
with neuromuscular diseases because if you have a camp, you have to bring girls in for our boys to meet. Um, so we have camp, and that's free to kids, and we have about 100 campers per year, loads of volunteers to keep that program going. We have the Jet Giving Fund, which is a program we started just about a year ago to help people purchase the very expensive equipment that they need to take care of their children and also to provide those, those young men with the independence they need to achieve their goals. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust TechHelpBoston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. I remember attending one of your events, and we're going to talk about your event that's coming up in a couple of weeks in just one moment. I remember meeting some of the boys and hearing their stories and listening to some of their parents say, without the funding that they've received from the Jet Foundation, they wouldn't be able to adapt their car. They wouldn't be able to get the special hospital bed or whatever type of bed they need because these boys get their big and you can't pull them out of their bed because they can't pull themselves out. I mean, talk about some of these basic practical needs. Sure. So handicapped vans, for instance, your young man who has Duchenne stops walking around the age of 12. They go into a 350-pound power chair at the age of 12 that needs to get somehow into a van. Vans are not covered by insurance. There are very few even private foundations that help with the funding of these vehicles. And they go for about $60,000. So you have a 100-pound young man in a 350-pound power chair that goes into a Dodge Caravan that wasn't made to actually carry these so the, the vans go very quickly. We also had a young man who is more in the end stage of his life. He, he lives on the North Shore of Boston, and he had pleaded with his insurance company to get him a bed that allowed him to turn himself in bed instead of calling mom and dad. Now, again, if you don't have muscle and you can't move your arms, you can't move your legs, can you imagine not only being stuck sitting in a chair all day, but then you get stuck sitting in a bed all night and not even being able to reposition your hips, your elbow, your arm, your shoulder, your head. It just broke my heart to not think at night that he was not getting the sleep that he needed, nor was mom and dad, who were his primary caretakers. They do cost a lot of money. They're technology-driven. And it was upwards of $50,000, but we were able to help work with that family and help that family purchase the bed. That young man now has his bed. So that's just another one of the great stories. There are boys who can't get upstairs anymore in their homes. Little boys, seven, eight years old, no longer be able to do the stairs. Now families might have to move, or we can get them a stair lift. So we work with those families to get a stair lift so the child can go up and down the stairs safely. If what Christine is saying is inspiring you to go online and find out more about her charity, here's the web address. It is jetfoundation.org. That's jetfoundation.org. And there's a big soiree coming up in Boston on January 25th at the gorgeous stateroom. It's called Shine a Light on Duchenne. Tell us all about it. 
We are so excited for this event. It's our signature event that helps to fund that jet giving fund we were just talking about. This fundraiser and the funds that we raise will help buy equipment for people all over the country, those affected by Duchenne who really need it, and there is no other source for them to get this this equipment that they need. This equipment not only just allows a boy more independence, it actually can be life-saving. You know, it's the difference between being able to get to hospital care or clinic care or not because you don't have the vehicle. It's the difference between, you know, maybe extending somebody's life by getting them a bed because they can breathe better at night and they get a better night's sleep. It's about quality of life, but it's also just about necessities. We hope to have at least 300 guests attend this event, show a beautiful video about some of the work that we've done in the past. We're very excited about it. So again, just go to jetfoundation.org. What's the name of the drug that you rallied to, to get? Yeah, so the drug that we rallied and, and got approved September 19th, 2016. A day that will live in infamy. Forever. <laughs> my, my phone was literally, when it got approved, bouncing on my kitchen counter. My daughter was home at the time, and it actually blew out our internet service. I was getting so many emails, text messages, and phone calls at the same time. My daughter's screaming at me that the internet just went down, and it it was just our... Christine McSherry broke the internet. I did. I did. (laughs) In my house, at least. In a better way than Kim Kardashian ever did, right? In my house, at least, yep. Tell us about the drug. The drug is called, uh, it was called Eteplerson. Once it was approved, it's called Exondus 51. And it is a drug, but it's really a technology. This drug actually goes in to the dystrophin gene, where you're supposed, where the gene that is supposed to make dystrophin, make that protein, and it pulls one of those 79 exons out. And when it does that, it allows two other exons to go together. And when that happens, the body is then able to read through it and make a truncated protein, dystrophin. Wow. Which, in the the clinical trial results, they actually didn't see dystrophin production by biopsy on the original clinical trial participants until after 24 weeks. However, when you have a boy as sick as Jet at that age that he got drug, which was November 2014, we saw results in nine weeks. Again, it goes back to those AIDS patients. I remember the lesson that I learned from them, which is you often see your fastest results in your sickest patients. And there I had it in front of me. Jet's roommate came home from Bridgewater State and told me they were sleeping better at night. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, Jet stopped snoring. And in that moment, I knew something had changed. And I laid on his floor at 2 a.m., and sure enough, I knew his breathing pattern had completely changed, and his really loud roar was now down to a little rumble. Wow. You know, you mentioned your daughter feeling a little left out. You know, Mom was not around for four or five years because she was lobbying every congressman, every Senate senator, every whoever in Washington, a force to be reckoned with. What have you said to your daughters now and your other children? How's that going? Do they get it? Interestingly enough, my oldest daughter, Jordan, is a health policy advocate and and is working very hard for rare disease, not just Duchenne, but in other rare diseases as well. And couldn't be prouder of the knowledge that she has, the congressional knowledge, regulatory knowledge, all of it. She's, She's a force to be reckoned with, and she's fantastic. Interestingly enough, my second daughter, who I just spoke to about a week ago. She's doing some volunteer work for a rare disease genetics company. And kind of like in an offhanded remark, she looked at me, she goes, well, you know, maybe you should look into that. (laughs) And so that right there signals to me, okay, 
Maybe she's beginning to get it. You know, you may not think they're listening, but they are. You've got a really exciting next chapter, and I want to talk about that. You're working with a company called Casimir, and you're bringing attention to the burden of rare diseases on families, on communities, on industry. What are you learning? Tell us more about it. The approval of Exondus 51 really put a light on what FDA considers clinical data. So they were looking at very high-level scientific data. What we were able to bring to them through the patient community is what kids were doing in their everyday lives that were different than from what they should have been doing with the disease. And we really brought to light to the agency that it's not so much the clinical data that you should be worried about. You should be worried about how these medicines affect people in their everyday life and their functional tasks, not whether or not somebody can walk 300 meters in six minutes. Is that meaningful? Well, no. What's meaningful to this patient population isn't how fast they can walk in six minutes, but whether or not they can get up off the couch and use the restroom independently and return to the couch. And so what Casimir aims to do is to actually do virtual clinical trials of patients taking drug or in placebo in their homes. We now have the assistance of mobile devices and lots of technology. And so we've built a tool with the right SOPs around it and getting a lot of the work validated that especially in rare disease, when your outcomes can be messy, like it was in Exondus 51, that we actually capture data for these drug companies. So they, number one, are informed on how to continue to develop drugs and what they might be using in the clinic for endpoints. Number two, to inform regulators on what's important and meaningful to patients and what they should consider in re- when reviewing a new drug application for approval. And number three, to inform the payers, our insurance companies, about what a meaningful difference is to the patients. Again, none of us want to take drugs that don't work, but we really need the information on how drugs work and how they're going to affect our everyday lives. And so Casimir is doing just that. We're taking patient voices and we're turning it into data and we're making better informed regulators, payers, and industry members. You know, you really are a force of nature, and this next chapter really speaks to all of your experience since 2001. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? It's exactly what I told you earlier, and I tell all my kids, there's always another way. Find the other path. Just keep looking. It comes up. It happens. I don't know how, but it does. Can you offer advice to somebody who's listening to our show and has a very sick child. That advice is really hard. Been in that situation, and I guess I just would say to never give up hope and to to make every second, every minute, every single day count with that child or with that loved one it could be. None of us know what's really going to happen and what turn of fate can happen, but we... We just have to live for today. And whatever you're doing, do it with intention, make it purposeful, with gratitude, and with grace. What's the best piece of wisdom you've ever received in your life? And is it your mantra? Is it something that stays with you all the time? It just has to be to never give up. Just don't give up. When you know you're right, you're right. It's in your gut. It's in your heart. You know, it was actually the old CEO of Sarepta that gave that to me. Chris Garabedian, he has also been a very good friend and a mentor. He 
told me I was right when the rest of the world was telling me I was wrong. And so I didn't give up. And for that, I have to thank with Jet's life. I really believe that successful women think differently. You've managed to extend Jet's life. Along the way, you've also raised $20 million to fund research, to provide care for hundreds, if not thousands, of boys with Duchenne, not just here in the United States, but around the world. Do you ever stop to think about that? I don't think that it was something that I did. I actually look at Jet, and I thank him every day because it's something he did. While he doesn't have the muscles to walk and to run like I do, while he doesn't have the ability to, to travel the world and educate people, he truly is the inspiration. And he tr if, if you go to China, you could go to Australia, and you could say the word jet, and people would know exactly who you were talking about. He is so inspirational, and he has done so much to transform this entire world. And because of him, kids' lives will be saved, and that's something that no one can ever take away from him. You know, I was going to ask you, since you are being featured on this program, how do you measure success? But now I think I want to ask, how do you think Jet measures success? I think that Jet measures success in just very gracious ways in terms of he's very content right now. He'll be playing his video game. He has a new puppy. Um, to him that successful, that he can go to college independently, stay there a couple nights a week, uh, come home on the weekends. Um, to him, that's, that's success. I want to thank you so much, not just for your friendship over all these years, because I think you're a role model for so many people, but for what you've done for all these boys. Congratulations. Thank you for being my friend. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment. This is a new series with one goal in mind, to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. Connect with Candy anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story? We'd love to hear it.